Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to the Lifescaping for the Believer podcast, where we focus on beautifying and enhancing the life that God has given you. There's so much more for our life on earth than just receiving a ticket to heaven. Though that's the best part, it's not the only part. See, Jesus said in John 10 that he has come so that we would have life and have life more abundantly too. It breaks my heart that the world already has enough bystander, uninformed Christians. So let's change that and start making ripple effects in the kingdom of God and receive God's best for us. And that starts today. Enjoy the episode. Make sure to drop me a comment, a like, and a share. I love you guys. Let's dive into the word of God. Welcome back to another great episode, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for the listens, the likes, the shares, the subscribes. As always, it means more to me than you'll ever know. Tonight, as always, it's going to be a great episode. And we are continuing our talk on the 10 benefits of obedience. Now, if you missed the episode last night, I want you to go back and listen to it because you're going to want to listen to these in order uh, because there's a specific rhythm to them. Now, tonight we're talking about the third and the fourth benefit of obedience. And last time we talked about the remission of sin and how when you choose to obey God, when you choose to um, act on the call of repentance, then you receive the first gift or excuse me, the first benefit of obeying God's calling. And that's the remission of your sin, the forgiveness and the washing of the sin in your life. And the second is receiving the Holy Spirit and the gifts that come along with it, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So if you want to know more about that, go check out that last episode. Tonight, we're going to talk about two more, numbers three and four. And there's going to be a lot of scripture that's thrown around tonight um, because we're going to be going back and forth between a lot of what Jesus said, a little bit of Psalms, and some of what Paul has to say about it. But we're going to go ahead and get right into it because it's important to get right to the point. You guys are listening in to get good content, not to just hear me ramble. So... Let's do it. Now, the third benefit of obedience, of of actually dialing in and obeying the word of God and the voice of God is the fullness of joy. Now, I learned the hard way that joy is truly a decision, and I'm going to show you some scripture that backs that up. And while I understand that there's a lot of people who deal with clinical depression, who deal with anxiety on multiple levels, who deal with tough relationships, who bring baggage into new relationships. There's the spectrum runs on and on. The truth of the matter is this, the fullness of joy exists. And when I say fullness, I mean nothing else can top it. It means that when you overflow with such joy that it boils over into every other aspect of your life and you operate in a atmosphere of joy. And so the first scripture I want to bring up is Psalm 16. All right. Now, Psalm 16 is a great passage because David paints this beautiful picture of what it means to have the fullness of joy. He says, in your presence, O Lord, is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Pleasures forevermore. In your presence, O Lord, are joys or excuse me, in your presence, O Lord, is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, what does that exactly mean? Well, first of all, who's at the right hand of God? 
Jesus. When he ascended into heaven, he is now seated at the right hand of God. So when you have the fullness, when you have Jesus Christ living in your heart, because you have received the gift of salvation, you automatically have the fullness of joy. And guess what? If you want to know how to access that joy, all you have to do is read the first half of the verse. In your presence, O Lord, is fullness of joy. So if you want to find joy, if you want to say yes to the calling of joy and receive that benefit of obedience, then find yourself in the presence of God. And if you don't know how to access the presence of God, find people who do. No, that is actually a very good point. It's, it is to find people who are actively in the presence of God. But if you're not totally sure what that actually looks like, it looks like this. Get alone, turn the music off, and simply ask the Lord to show up. And He will because He loves you. It really can be that simple. If you are a music guy and you're moved by music like I am, I'm, I'm a huge music junkie. I love to let worship soak over me all the time, listen to it, play it, sing it, all of the above. I can feel the presence of the Lord in worship. Some people feel it in the quiet time of their heart where there's nothing going on. Some people feel it when they're in, um, you know, when they have, a, when they might read scripture, they feel the joy of the Lord overtake them. The joy of the Lord is in the presence of of God, the fullness of joy, which leads me to my next scripture in or my next piece of scripture in Psalms, which is actually probably one of the most well-known Psalms. And you can probably finish it. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So if you find yourself weak at the knees, maybe you're battling something, maybe uh, a devastating supernatural or excuse me, a devastating natural act has come. Maybe you lost a loved one. Maybe you're dealing with a bad relationship, baggage, etc. Where do you find strength? Joy. When joy overflows, nothing else can stand in its way. Now, that doesn't mean that you just sop up the, the hurt that might be going on in your life and you slap a smile on your face. It means that you go back to Psalm 16. If you can make that a cornerstone verse in your life, I promise you, you will find yourself more joyful and strengthened than you ever have been before. So if the joy of the Lord is my strength, if I'm the type of person who wants to experience the benefit of the fullness of joy, then I simply have to do a reverse process where I need strength, Lord. All right, I'm going to get in your presence because I know that there are pleasures forevermore at the right hand of God. I have pleasures forevermore because I have Jesus Christ who is at the right hand of God. I know that joy, the fullness of joy is in your presence, so I'm going to sit in your presence. And I know that I will receive strength because the joy of the Lord is my strength and I am in your presence, O Lord. When you start to connect these dots and understand that these are very attainable benefits that automatically come with your restoration in Jesus Christ. These are things that are a free gift of, of, of God, a free gift of grace that God gives to his children. You, know, you want to know why? Because he loves his children. It just doesn't get any more simple than that. And as I told you in the last episode, the worst thing you can be is misinformed. This world has not overcome you because you are stronger than the world because of what resides in you. Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the love of the Father. So John 17, I want to read this to you. John 17, 13. 
Now, this is actually a prayer that God or that Jesus himself sends up to God. And he has this long prayer. I really encourage you to read John 17. It's really cool. And he's, he's praying to the Father. He's saying all these things. And then it comes down to this. Verse 13, he says, But now I am coming to you, because his, his death was right around the corner, and Jesus knew that. He said, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak to the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the, word is, the world has hated them, because they are not of this world. When your lens, when you look at the world through the world's lens, you'll see nothing but hurt. You'll see nothing what you see on, on uh, TV channels like CNN. You'll see nothing but the pain, the destruction, the hurt, the loss. And that will be your worldview. But if you put on the heart, soul, and mind of, of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit, then you'll see the world like Jesus just said right here. That the fullness of joy can be fulfilled in them because the word has now been given. John 1 says that the word became flesh. So Jesus not only brought the word, but he brought the example of what it looks like to commune with the Father. So the fullness of joy is literally a groundbreaking staple in the Christian walk. It has to be. If you're not a joyful Christian. So last time I talked about a few signs of if you know you're walking in the Holy Spirit. If you're walking with the Holy Spirit. And I can tell you right now that if I see a Christian who is constantly in a state of defeat or depression or anxiety. Not to say that those moments don't come. But they're moments. They're not, they're not attitudes. They're not they cannot be consistent in your life. If they are, then something needs to be reevaluated about the few verses that I just read tonight. If you read Psalm 16 and read it literally for what it is, there's no way you can walk away from it not feeling encouraged that there is fullness of joy at your fingertips. All you have to do is ask and it will be given to you. Now, we jump to, to let's see here, let's look at John 15 for a minute. So John 15 says this. Let's see if I'm in the right spot. Yeah. So John 15 says this. If you love me, excuse me, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments. There's the example that Jesus said. And abide and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So some people say that joy is not a choice. I beg to differ. Because verse 10 in John 15 says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Remember, if you have to read the Bible literally, and when you can't read it literally, you search for the literal meaning. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Remember, this is 10 benefits of obedience. Just as I've kept my father's commandments and I abide in his love. So he's literally saying you can mirror what I do and you can receive the same joy that I walked in. Jesus's life is not unattainable. Okay, now that's a bold statement. The only thing that's unattainable in Jesus's life was living sinless. 
But because Jesus did die on the cross, he completely wiped out the sin in my life and I can choose to walk righteously and obey his commandments. I was a sinner. I am not a current sinner because I know the relationship I have. I know the importance of keeping myself, of keeping my myself communed with God, with consecrating myself to Jesus. Have I slipped before? Yes. But you better believe that each time becomes less and significantly less every time. He literally says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You remember, this is New Testament. This isn't Old Testament. Jesus already said he came to fulfill the law. So he's not referencing the law. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now, if you're full, that means nothing else can fit in there. So if you have the fullness of joy, then you're not going to be depressed. You won't have anxiety. And that's what that brings me to a very important, very important, crucial piece to this episode. Okay. Be very careful when you use the words, I am. There's a reason why God calls himself the I am of I am. Like he is, I am. There's a reason why those two words are extremely potent and powerful. Even saying something as simple as I am tired literally defines your entire existence as being exhausted, as being too tired to accomplish anything else by saying I am addicted to X, Y, and Z. I am an alcoholic. If you use that verbiage, you define yourself as the thing you are literally talking about. And people throw it around very flippantly. Oh, I'm I'm just an accountant or oh, I'm just X, Y, and Z or oh, I I this, I am that. And and you ruin the chance for the fullness of joy to overtake you. To follow the commandments of God and abide in his love because you have chosen to define yourself as so many things. So I just want to throw that in as a tidbit, as a side note, that saying I am is a very dangerous and very powerful weapon. It can be used in the best way, and it can also be the most damaging way. And, and that's one, one thing that I've really tried to correct in my life. Like, like, let's say I'm having a really bad day, right? Let's say that things just aren't going my way. It's frustrating. I missed out on an opportunity, whatever. Woke up late for work. You know, kid missed school. There's a million things. Instead of saying you know, I am anxious. Change it and say, I had an anxious moment. Instead of saying, I am depressed, say, I had a depressed thought. Because when you talk in that verbiage, then you take scripture literally. Because when it says to take every thought captive, like it does, that is literally what it, that, that's, a, that's a primary example, a, a, a example that you can put in effect today to take every thought captive. Don't, don't define yourself before you even give yourself the opportunity to examine who you really are versus what's really going on. And that's why Paul talks about the dangers of being uninformed. Because our language is the most powerful weapon that God gave us. It's the only weapon that no other creation has is our voice. Because the power of our voice mimics the power of the voice that 
God, God carries in the very beginning. He, we are the only creation that God breathed life into. Everything else was spoken into existence, but we actually received the breath or a.k.a. the voice of God where we had our own word we could produce. We had our own will we could bring out. And if you don't use that very intentionally, it will come back to bite you and the enemy will manipulate you to say simple things that will absolutely define and sometimes wreck your understanding of the power of the word of God. So the fullness of joy is at your fingertips. Know it, understand it, get in the presence of God, receive the fullness of joy, walk in it, and you'll have the pleasures forevermore. And that is number three, the fullness of joy, which might be one of my favorites um, because a joyful Christian is just, you can't beat it. There's no better person to be around. You can't tell me that that a joyful Christian is not somebody that you just love to be around. You love to talk to, to interact with, to get advice from, to it just life becomes so much more joyful, you know, enjoyable. Ugh. All right, let's talk about number four. Okay, so we've got one, two, three done. Number four. This is a very controversial one. Um, and I say that because some people try to manipulate the reality. Okay, now the benefit, the 10 benefits of obedience. Number four is the father's love. The father's love. Okay, now I want to try to break this one down a little bit slower. I might have been talking a million miles an hour about the fullness of joy. But when it comes to the father's love, there are a few truths that we have to know. All right. Now, the first truth is this. God loves everyone. But the second truth, not everyone receives the father's love or the fatherly love or the or the godly intimate love. The personal relationship love, okay? And it's so important to know the difference because when people say God loves everyone, he does. But there is a massive difference between the creator's love for his creation and the father's love for his children. And when you choose to obey God, you receive the father's love, which is a much more agape, intimate personal relationship love. You don't get that unless you're obeying the voice of the Lord, unless you're answering the call, unless you're walking righteously with him. You don't, that's not the love. That type of love is not just poured out on any and everybody. God loves his creation, but he does not pour out the fatherly love on just anyone. And I'm going to give you examples. Check this out. Why don't we jump right to Luke 15? Okay. Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son, okay? A lot of people know this story, but I'm going to give you a little bit of an insight into what it looks like to receive the Father's love versus just knowing that God loves everyone, okay? And Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. 
And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out of one of the citizens of that country, who sent him out into the fields to feed the pigs, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, and he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here hungry? I will arise, I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose, came to his father. He arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. He ran and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put on a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf as well, and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now there is a very clear picture of what type of love was being poured out in the different stages of the son's walk with his father, the one who raised him as a child, birthed, you know, his mother birthed him. He was, he was, his, he was his father. But when the son chose to run away, which is a parallel with mankind choosing to sin, turn their back on God, did God go into the, go into the mess? Now, just track with me here. Did the father in this story leave and go after the son who was bent, who was literally hell bent in the story on chasing what he wanted? As long as the son was was not obeying, the father was not was not. It's the best way to say it. As long as the son was not obeying when he was chasing what he wanted. Nobody was helping him. It says, and nobody gave him anything. His father didn't give him anything, didn't send him money from afar, a check in the mail, um, a lunch pack, a school lunch. I mean, nobody helped him, not even his father. Okay. But when the son realized what was going on and he said, man, just to be one of my father's servants, I don't, I'll be the lowest of the low, but I've got to return to my father because I clearly messed this thing up. He recognized his need. He went back to his father and when he started to obey the first sign of the very first sign of obedience, a.k.a. when the father saw his son from a from a very far distance away, it didn't matter. He didn't care what his son had to say. He just recognized the father saw his son coming back home. The even the, the, the very beginning of that effort automatically brought on the overpour of the father's love because the father saw it ran to him, and then watch these three things that happened. These three things is the love that I'm talking about, okay? This is not just a, okay, because you have to understand, the father of the prodigal son still loved his son regardless of where on the planet he was. The love never changed, but the demonstration and the hands-on did change. When you walk in obedience... Here's what happens, okay? The son comes home, 
says, Father, forgive me, I've sinned against heaven and earth, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, then that's a parallel with us recognizing our need for a Savior, coming to him, asking for the forgiveness of our sins. And the Father says this, But the Father said, Bring quickly the best robe. Now, throughout Scripture, there's a lot of stories that reference a robe. So why in this story is a robe the focus of... of why is it a focus? Why is it something that the Father put on the Son? Well, throughout Scripture, oftentimes, the majority of the time, a robe that was put on somebody represented favor. It literally represented the restoration of immediate access to resources, to relationship, to whatever. It represented favor. And so the father firstly restored the favor on his son. And that's the first sign of the father's love is the favor that comes with it. Not just, I created you, I love you, I'm not going to take your life from you. But there's, an, there's another level. There's, there's, another, there's a fatherly love that comes with obedience. It says he put on the best robe. He restored the favor of his son. While the rest of the world looked at him and called him crazy, the father said, no, this is my son. The second thing he did was put on a ring. Now, all throughout Scripture, the ring on the right hand of a person represented the family lineage and it represented royalty. So not only did this son get his favor restored, he got his royalty restored. He was now back in the will of God. And I don't have to tell you what that parallels with the uh, the, the literal meaning of what Jesus Christ did for us, our our sonship was restored through the blood of Jesus Christ. So when we walk in obedience, the fourth benefit is the Father's love. So the favor that's poured out on us as children walking in obedience and the royalty that's, that's bestowed upon us. The, the fact that you now walk with the favor and the immediate access to the resources that God carries, not the resources that man carries or we carry. And the third thing that was restored, which I think is so cool, I mean, so clever, these small things that are put in Scripture that have massive meanings. The, the third thing that he put on was the shoes on his feet. Four little words. He restored the robe, the ring, and then the last part, shoes on his feet. Now, what's so important about putting shoes on his son's feet? Well, to answer that question, we can jump back into Genesis, Okay. Now in Genesis, oh, you know what? I better check myself because I don't want to just be wrong here. Okay, yeah, it's Exodus 3, not Genesis. Okay. Excuse me. So Exodus 3 is the story of the burning bush where Moses encounters the present, the manifest presence. Of God, And it's where he's called to return back to Egypt, right? But many people miss the fact that God said, Moses, take off your sandals. Remove your shoes because the place you stand is holy ground. Now, why did God tell him to remove his feet? Well, throughout scripture, a lot of times, the majority of the time, the shoes on a person's feet represented their rights. Okay? Now, track with me. When you enter somebody's house and you take off your shoes in respect, what are you doing? You're laying down your rights because you're in somebody else's home. And you're respecting the fact that they have 
you know, it's, it's their home. You respect their home, but you're laying down your rights. So when you put shoes on somebody's feet or you wash somebody's feet, I'm sure you can think of a story where somebody washed somebody else's feet. And if you don't know the story I'm talking about, Jesus himself washed the feet of the disciples. Why? Because it was a symbolic act of restoring, washing, or respecting the rights of another person. And so literally when the shoes get put back on the feet of the son, it means that your rights have been restored. Literally your, your, your authority has been restored as my son. What I had authority to do, I'm now giving you the authority to do. I'm putting the shoes back on your feet. I'm restoring your rights. So <laughs> the son lost all, all three of these things when he chose to walk away, just like we did in the Garden of Eden. We lost all three of those things. Jesus came and they were restored to the children of God, the ones who answer the call and say, I'm making Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. Those, These three things, okay, the favor, the royalty, and the, uh, the rights were all restored. In full, not in part, not earn it as you go, restored in full by grace through faith in obedience to the Father. And this is, this is the evidence right here. This is the parallel to it. I mean, we can even look at, uh, I think it's John 14. John 14, it says this, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home within him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my word, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Knowing that God loves you is one thing. Receiving the fatherly love that comes through obedience is a whole nother thing. If your father and your son leaves the house, the more you chase him, the more likely you are to push him away because we all have free will. And if a son chooses to leave, simply chasing him might push him further away. But, but by loving him, when the son chooses, well, if, because we know that not everybody will choose to follow Jesus. If the son chooses to come back to the father, the father does not care where he's been, how long he's been away, doesn't care what he had to go through to get there. He's back and the father restores the relationship without question because a, a good father, as scripture calls our father in heaven, a good father loves his children. And how much more does our father in heaven love us. So that's about all the time I've got tonight. So those are your third and fourth benefits. Now, if you got something out of this episode, guys, I really encourage you to share this because people need to hear, they need to be informed of the benefits of obedience because the next time you're around a truly joyful Christian, remember it's because of walking in obedience and these things are attainable for you when you see the favor on somebody's life it's because they walk in obedience when you see somebody filled with the holy spirit it's because they they walked in obedience when you see somebody who received the forgiveness of their sins you it's because of obedience god is calling you right here right now and if you've never answered that call you can do that tonight Simply by saying, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up. 
I ask you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. I admit that I've sinned. I believe that you came, you died on a cross, you rose again on the third day, and it's by your death, burial, and resurrection that I am saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Praying that prayer is what sets you in the first benefit of obedience. And it only goes up from there. Scripture says we go from glory to glory as Christians. There's no, you don't fall into these things. They're not by accident. It's by obedience. All right. So five and six are coming tomorrow. Well, you know what? I better, better hold off before I say that. It's coming soon. I'm hopefully going to get the episode out tomorrow, but it may not be till Tuesday. But either way, it's coming out soon. I'll be sure to let you guys know. Like and share this episode for real. I know that you know somebody who needs to hear this. I think we should pray. (laughs) What do you say? Good God. Thank you that there is fullness of joy awaiting us. That we can have access to right now. We don't have to wait until the battle's over. We don't have to wait until we grind it out. There is joy right now. So I pray that your presence would just ignite a holy fire in every room, in every car, in every ear right now. Wherever they, wherever you may be listening, I pray that the Holy Spirit finds you well and that the joy of the Lord would overflow in your life. That the favor of God, the authority and the royalty of God would fall fresh on you today. You are called by God. And the obedience, the benefits of obedience are waiting for you. Lord, we thank you that there's more to the Christian life than just getting our toe across the line. You have called this life to be more than that. And I pray we would answer the call. Raise up a generation. Men and women who are kingdom-minded, who want to make ripple effects in the kingdom of God. We love you, we praise you, and we ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.